This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show. My name is Andy Larson. I'm the managing editor of Salt City Hoops. But we are walking to Memphis. We're talking about Memphis as the Jazz are in halftime playing the Memphis Grizzlies. <laughs> Down one at the moment. This is nice. This is a good, I like it. A good touch. So yeah, we we will be. We're not in Memphis per se, but we are talking about Memphis uh, here on ESPN 700. So. We've got a lot to talk about. The Jazz are good again, which is, is a new development. I want to talk about that. We've got, um, I, I don't know, the, we've got a cool show. We've got Jimbo Redding coming on, the the famed producer of the Jimbo mailbags and, and trolling the world over, the Twitter world over. More important, which, recent followee of Jimmer for Debt, which I think is the most important thing indeed. when we're talking about Jimbo Redding. I don't think there's any doubt. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and then uh, we've got a cool show with a couple games. We're going to do some stat trading, uh, a segment we'll call Super Stats at 7 because, you know, alliteration is a great thing. And it's and, only 7.03. It's close <laughs> enough. <laughs> yeah, no, it is the 7 o'clock hour. We could do this for all 60 minutes. Don't worry, we will. Um, but the basic idea is we'll throw out a stat and talk about it and then switch pretty quickly PTI style. But before we do that, let's make sure everyone knows, again, this is a social show, so please if you'd like, uh, tweet us. My name is at Andy B. Larson, at Ben underscore Dowsett, or you can always call us. I believe the number is 877-353-0700, and someone would tell me if that was wrong. No, that's right. Cool. All right. Um, so let's let's get started. Are we, are we ready? I mean, I, ready. I feel like I've just been watching this jazz game, and now I, I want to talk about it. But we... we because if you want, by the way, if you're listening and, and one game later as the jazz game comes on, you can always listen to us as a podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SaltCityHoops.com, on ESPN700Sports.com. Yeah. You know, literally the entire internet should have our podcast. And assuming it. that the game doesn't run super long and go into overtime or anything like that, we're going to do our own little brief sort of our thoughts on the game when it ends, which we'll still be recording during probably around like 8.30 or something like that. Correct. Yep. Okay. But super stats at seven. I like it. We need, we need like a little intro. We do. We need to get that. We'll, John's got to work on that. By the way, your your voice sounds a little bit deeper. Are you feeling? Yeah. No, way? I've I've had like a little cough the last day or two. It's nothing else. I, I'm I I think every <laughs> I think kind of everybody's had a little bit of something. I'm I feel lucky. I haven't gotten like super oh, hardcore fluey or anything like that. I hope I don't. I should. That was <laughs> me knocking on wood with my fingernails. Well, regardless, I, I mean, I'm glad you're still here, well enough to do the show. That's the important this. thing. Yeah, it's a highlight of our week. Yeah. Um, besides jazz games, of course. So and now there's both happening at the same time. Ah, okay. Let let me have you start actually, because you've got a cool stat about the Jazz's defense. Definitely. All right. The Jazz since the beginning of February. This is one that I think most folks have seen who pay attention closely. The Jazz have the number one per possession defense in the NBA since February. That figure is 97 points per 100 possessions. That is in a tie with Milwaukee, who they beat the other night in a defensive struggle, which is appropriate. Now, I have one thing that uh, I have put up on my Twitter, so if you follow me, you've seen that. Maybe you haven't. That actually, during this period, again, since February 1st, the Jazz's defense has actually been better on a per-possession basis when Rudy Gobert is not on the floor. 
which I think is surprising to a it's number of people. very surprising. Now, there are some contextual caveats that go in there. The fact that Rudy has begun starting games for about half those games or so, and even the ones he wasn't starting, he was playing a lot of time against starters, and I think he closed a few games in there as well where he was definitely playing against the opposing team's best five, so on and so forth. That's going to skew things a little because of course, guys that get to play when he's on the bench are very often playing more often against bench players of the other teams themselves, and that can there can be a lot of noise there, and we want to watch out for that. But given the massive impact that Gobert has had all year in general, I do think it's still remarkable even that even that he's his numbers versus starters are not quite as good as the rest of the guys' numbers, maybe against bench units. Again, we, we keep saying it on the show, but I think it's important to say it, I mean, almost every week, that this Jazz defensive improvement, the Jazz being literally the number one team in February uh, on the defensive end, is not just due to Rudy Gobert. Everyone is playing better. The, mm-hmm. the system has come together. And really, that says two things to me. One, how good of a teacher is Quinn Snyder being able to bring this defense up to this level? Uh-huh. Even if it's just for a month, you know, even if they finish 20th or whatever, which given how bad they were at the beginning of the season, may be the most likely scenario at this yeah, point. I think so. Um, they dug themselves a pretty big hole. Yeah. But still, for them to make that sort of development during a season is really promising for how they turn out in year two. And then it also is a pretty big indictment of Ty Corbin because, you know, the same roster more or less had. The same roster minus Alec Burks. They, I mean, they had Alec Burks last year, who has his issues away from the ball defensively, but is a good on-ball defender for the Jazz. I think only you think that. I okay. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think he's a decent on-ball defender, but I wouldn't call him. I, I, and the stats, you're right. I mean, you've made a case that the stats show him as a good on-ball defender. Yeah. I, I don't know that like the coaching staff thinks of him as a as a great um, that 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 could be true and i i think at the although i think there's a lot of noise with him at the start of this year cuz he played basically the entire year hurt which right. which means something but he he had he my impression of him was a little bit less for what we saw this year defensively but anyway that's neither here nor there but the, you're right it is a little bit of an indictment on Ty Corbin how well the Jazz are playing defensively right now with virtually this maybe Elijah Millsap is one of the only large defensive pieces that you would say they didn't have yeah, last and, year yeah and and i think Dante X them too, right? Yeah. Dante Exum instead of Trey Burke. Trey Burke, is, as we've learned, is not a good defender, although he, again, is one of those players that's made strides thus far. He really has. Um, but Dante Exum, I think, is a better defender even now, right? Would you agree? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. So, um, and more versatile. By the way, just real quick before we move on to the next one, guess how many rebounds Gobert has at halftime? One million. Close. 16. 16 rebounds yeah, at halftime. Yeah, 16 rebounds Look at you, halftime, Rudy Gobert. Which is pretty awesome. That anyway, awesome. all right, yours. That's a great superstat at seven. That is. That's true. Okay. Next superstat at seven. Number three, then, instead of number two. I think it's interesting. The Jazz's roster makeup, if you take out Alec Burks, who's you know out for the season, inactive for the rest of the year, the Jazz have 14 healthy players, right? Seven of those guys are rookies. Some of those guys are non-rookies. Huh. The oldest guys on the roster, Elijah Millsap and Joe Ingles, are rookies. There's just no experience on this team, and yet they're playing really well. Like the the general thought is that you need a veteran presence on this uh, on in your team to win, right? Or to play well defensively, or to fight at the end of games, those sort of things. Mm-hmm. Aren't the Jazz disproving that right now? 
Um, to a point. I mean, they're they're not in the playoffs or anything like that. And I think a lot of that mantra tends to apply for people when teams are trying to make deep runs in the playoffs. You know, that whole like they just need that one more veteran guy to you know to get over the hump or whatever. I think is a lot of the common phraseology you hear there. But yeah, no, to to a point. I mean, the Jazz are sticking in there with the best teams in the league and beating them on a lot of occasions recently. With you're right, the guys that are handling the most, the majority of the load and and playing the most minutes and having the largest roles are like 25 and under in almost every case. Except for the two guys you're about to next mention in your next Superstat at 7. That is very true. Now, this is uh, there's been a little bit of a battle for playing time recently between Joe Ingles, who had kind of assumed that starting two role and the majority of the minutes at the two after the injuries, and now Elijah Millsap, who over the last little while has actually started to kind of seed that from him. Joe is still starting, and he did again tonight. But in February, Millsap played about one more minute per game, which isn't much. But in the last five games, Millsap Sap has played about five more minutes per game than Joe Ingles has. He's just, I think, proven himself to be a little bit more capable at the stuff Quinn wants to be happening within the scheme. Defensively, of course, I think there's a, huge, a big difference there. Elijah's the best perimeter defender the Jazz currently have by probably a wide margin, and Ingles is maybe average, maybe slightly below, I would say. And He's done well enough as a shooter. I still have my questions about his shooting long term, but most importantly, he's done a much better job at making his decisions early. This is something Quinn told us actually pregame uh, when we were uh, talking to him about the Milwaukee game. Tony Jones asked him this question. He asked him about Elijah Millsap and how he's improved. Quinn's biggest point was something that he called the go and catch, and the terminology there is, that is very interesting. Most people think catch and go, right? When the ball comes out to you, you catch it and then you go. Right. Quinn wants that decision to have been made before the ball is there. So he calls it go and catch, meaning that you're going by the time you catch the ball. Elijah's been doing that really, really well and been able to find driving lanes as a result where he doesn't have to rely on his shooting. Can I point out that maybe that's why the Jazz have so many turnovers? <laughs> like they're they're all going possibly. before they catch the ball. Yeah. I mean, that's... But I think that's part of the learning process, honestly, to get that to get that to be the natural thing to where you're so used to it eventually that you don't turn the ball over. Right. And I mean, I... I definitely agree there are huge benefits to being on the run when you catch the ball. So that way, you know, you, you have kind of an advantage over the defense who has to kind of be ready to react once you get the ball. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you on the overall jingles and Elijah Millsap point. I, I just think it's fascinating that these two guys are absolutely splitting the uh, shooting guard minutes right now. And they were not in the NBA before the season, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. The, and the Jazz are really making some serious lemonade with them. Like, it's, it's really encouraging. Making some serious lemonade. All right, yeah. I like it. Let's talk about Dante Exum next. How about this? So, you know, I've, I've tweeted a lot about Dante Exum. Um, uh, he, uh, first of all, let me point out this. We'll go with the basic stat first. So 29 free throw attempts all year, Oof. zero in the last 20 games, Oof. two in the last 28 games. And I think so that like, was before tonight, and I'm pretty sure. Essentially never getting to the line. Yeah, and he so, hasn't shot any tonight either. Twenty-eight so. and a half games. Yeah. Then. So mm-hmm. again, not not good. Um, and and then it's not like he's shooting well either. So fourth worst spot up shooter out of all 127 qualified spot up shooters per Synergy stats. He's below that's, 30 percent on spot up shots qual- classified by Synergy, which is really really bad. That's not good, given especially how much space 
teams are giving him yep. on the offensive end. Mm-hmm. And then he's not attacking with that space either, so only 1.9 drives per game. Uh, least of all, jazz guards and wings, and among the lowest in the league for ball handlers. You know, For example, so, Ennis Cantor has had 1.2 drives per game before he left Utah. Okay. So that's a little context there. Yeah, and, and Trey Burke has like six or seven. Yeah, right? and Gordon and Trey are both over six, I think. And uh, Alec, before he got injured, was in the fives for, for reference. So, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's he's hardly driving it at all um and when he does i i just it's hard to remember a time when he shot it it seems like he's always going for these interior passes yeah. which you know you don't hate but you'd also like to see him take it once in a while i i mean i just have such mixed thoughts on this because i i do believe in dante x i mean he's a 19 year old kid and again has never faced anything like this level of competition didn't really play competitive basketball last year before that played in australian high school you know has done some international things but not really but again, just for someone who you expect to become great in the NBA, um, I, Dante Axum's not doing that yet. He's really not, and and I will say, and again, you can't get too ahead of yourself. You got to not. He's looked a little bit better tonight, a couple of times, had a <laughs> couple of drives where it seemed like he, had, but he made a three. Yeah, no, and ben, he's even admitted that he's having issues with with contact at the NBA level and with his strength and things like that. This summer is going to be a really big time for Dante. He's going to, so he's almost for sure going to play in the summer league. I'd be surprised if he didn't. And there's there's a, there's a general mantra that. If you're a lottery pick, especially a top five pick like he is in your second summer playing in summer league, you should be one of the better players there. I stop short of saying dominating, but you should come close, honestly. You should be one of the best players on the floor at most times. Mm-hmm. That's what we need to see from Dante. I hope we see. I hope his strength and conditioning improve. I hope he's got some time to work with the staff on that over the summer. But I'm confident. I, I don't think he's the kind of kid who's just sitting back here saying, ah, oh, it'll just be fine. It'll come to me. I think he knows that he's got to go get it. It's not going to come to him. Yeah, no, we, we saw that during last summer league, I feel like. We saw stretches where I think he was the best player on the floor. Yep. We have seen zero stretches when he was the best yep. player on the floor this season. Yep. And and so maybe we see that again in summer league. His confidence goes back up, but really it's going to be that critical July to October period where he needs to put on muscle mass, gain confidence. And I think the biggest thing that we are kind of underestimating is, is gain ball handling skills. Yep. Um, because, you know, he just doesn't have the ability to really drive confidently without thinking he's going to be stripped or in a sea of, of players around the paint. Yeah, and everything else kind of will unfold for him once he's more confident with his dribble. Once he knows that he can pretty much run anywhere, go anywhere, without losing the ball, getting swiped, or, or just losing it himself, that's things like his ability to induce contact and to take it the right way. Things like that are going to improve as a result. So... I'm, I we still got to give him time. You still can't judge a guy when he's 19 years old. Some of it is a little discouraging so far. We may have hoped that he would make some of these strides within this season. At this point, I'd say that looks unlikely. Agreed. Okay, I got Next another Next superstat at seven. Next superstat at seven is that since the uh, break, and this is not including tonight. I didn't get it for tonight. Uh, Gordon Hayward is shooting just over 35% total, and I believe I saw like 20% from three. Over that period of time, and it's not any better tonight. He's 2 for 9 from the field, 0 for 5 from 3. Yet, the Jazz have won 4 or 5 games coming into tonight in that period, and they're only one point down right now on the road to one of the best teams in the league. 
So what's interesting about it, and the Jazz should have won five straight, honestly, if they hadn't played a miserable fourth quarter against the Lakers. Or an entire game against the Lakers. That game was awful. Yeah, that was a really crappy game. That That made me so sad. Yeah, they really should be (laughs) on a five-game win streak right now. And this is with, again, their offensive cap. For a lot of the year, I even wrote a piece earlier in the year talking about how sort of helpless the Jazz were when Hayward wasn't on the floor, how they pretty much needed him to be there to have any success whatsoever. Now... He's playing kind of badly from his, for his standards, at least. Do you least. have plus-minus numbers for when he's on the floor? Uh, for these five, I'm sorry, I don't. Give me okay. a second. No, Give me a second, I'll okay. find him. Yeah, we'll, we'll do the live research right now. But, yeah, I, I mean, I think this is kind of what we expected, though. When, when you trade Ennis Cantor, all of a sudden you decrease one of your only offensive options in mm-hmm. that lineup. So, right now, the Jazz are starting, again, Trey Burke. Or, sorry, they're starting Dante Exum, Joe Ingles, Gordon Hayward, Derek Favors, and Rudy Gobert. And one of those players can make his own shot. Maybe two in Derek Favors, but really he's more of a role man, right? Like, Gordon Hayward's all you have. Yeah. Okay, so, I just looked up the number, okay, by the way. They still are... Po- there is There are no Jazz regular who are not a positive while they've been on the court in this period because, of course, the Jazz have won the majority of their games. But he is one of the lowest. He's a plus six per 100 possessions, which appears to be the lowest of any of their rotation players. When he leaves the floor, which I think is the more important area, and this is actually huge... The Jazz have been crushing teams in this in this little small again super small sample. Wow. When Gordon's been off the floor, they've been winning by twenty five points per one hundred possessions, which is obviously completely unsustainable. It's that Rodney Hood superstar status. Exactly, it's one of those things. No, it's and not. now, of course, this is a, this isn't something that's going to be able to continue in this manner. And a lot of it is just I asked Quinn specifically actually about it after uh, the game on on Saturday night in Milwaukee. He said be straight up. I just think it's variance. Like he just thinks yeah. that Gordon's shot is a little bit off. Which is such a smart answer for a coach, by the way. Yeah, yeah, and well, and I think he's there's a very, very good chance he's right. Like yeah. Gordon didn't just become a worse player; he's adjusting to having slightly less space because you're right, Cantor. That was something that Cantor brought to the table. Whether you know he had a lot of other deficiencies, but he definitely brought space. And I think he's going to get there. He's a very adaptable player. I'm not too worried about it long term. Yeah, but no- the more encouraging part is they're still winning. Right, Even that's the thing. Is, yeah, so they're winning. So they're winning without Hayward putting up big numbers. I guess um, he's just made his first two shots of the half. By the way, so nice. he's not four, four of an eleven. But we should keep talking about this. <laughs> yeah, Gordon Hayward is a terrible shooter, but the Jazz are winning. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, there was that stretch earlier in January where he was shooting lights out, was shooting like over fifty percent from three. This is just the flip side of the coin. Regression to the mean will happen, and he'll be the near All Star player level that that I, I think. He truly is yeah, at this point. I would agree. I'm, I'm really not too worried about Gordon. Next, Superstat at 7. Next, Superstat at 7. Was it mine or you? I think it's you. It's my turn. Yep. Yeah. Um, Jazz have zero players with a negative off-court rating since the break. So uh, literally no one when they're on the floor are the Jazz worse than, which makes sense. The Jazz have won a lot of games by a lot of points. But still, it's really nice to see that like all the players in this rotation are – contributing and are not killing the Jazz, even, again, with seven rookies on the roster like Dante Exum, who's Joe Ingles, Elijah Millsap, uh, those sort of players who don't add a lot offensively are still adding enough to the Jazz's bottom line that they're they're still able to score and defend when they're on the floor. Yeah, I th- and this one kind of ties in with the last point because I think – Hayward is the sort of the biggest one that you would worry about there because of what it was as how it's been for a lot of the year where the Jazz have kind of gotten killed when Hayward hasn't been out there. So uh, that's kind of the positive. Them well, one of the main positives that I take from that is that they're not getting crushed when Hayward is off the floor. But the fact that they can at least for a small period 
kind of rotate anybody in there and know that they're not just giving up a huge advantage. That's a big deal. We talk a lot about, I think this is a really a growing vogue thing in the NBA right now, is having an 8, 9, 10 deep rotation where you don't have any glaring weaknesses at any big position. Bit like where you 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 it's like the Spurs, the Spurs or you know, or Atlanta or Golden State is probably the best example this year. Golden State can run ten deep and know that at no point really is there a guy on the court on either end who teams can pretty much focus in on and be like, okay, that's the weak point, that's what we're attacking. But the Jazz do have, uh, I, they have I guess those. not on defense. But on offense, they do. They do. Absolutely. So, like, oh, yeah. you can you can absolutely, like, in a hypothetical playoff series, which obviously the Jazz aren't there yet, teams straight up don't defend Dante Exum uh, or Joe Ingles or Elijah Millsap, right? Like A lot of the time, yeah. We would, I mean, we've seen that when the Jazz were in the in the playoffs against the Lakers, they would just would not guard Ronnie Brewer or Andre Kirilenko mm-hmm. and ruined everything the Jazz did offensively. I think yeah. we'd see the same thing. In uh, again, a conceptual playoff series for this year's Jazz. Definitely, and I think that's you know that's that's what this summer is going to be for the Jazz to address is yeah. that they badly lack shooting at a couple of positions where you really kind of need some shooting. And I, I think that's going to be, and we're gonna we're gonna have a little bit of a, a hypothetical in our next segment that's going to be kind of fun to sort of down those lines, not completely because we're not getting into off season mode quite yet. We're not there yet. I, I can't believe we talked about playoffs. We're talking about playoffs. Playoffs. Yeah, anyway, yeah, we we need that. We need that as a drop, by the way. Yeah, John. we need it. We need to get that, um, one. especially need, by next yeah, year. The Allen Iverson the playoffs. playoffs drop. Um, all right, one last stat, and, and maybe two actually, because I've got one from this. No, game no, no, that's not Allen Iverson. That was the Colts coach. Iverson's practice. Uh, Iverson what? was the practice one. You're thinking about the Colts yeah, coach. Yeah, okay, playoffs. You're yeah. right. Playoffs and practice are not the same. Yeah. Anyway, um, Trey Burke. One last one last stat on him. You're up. Yes, Trey Burke. From since the beginning of February, Trey Burke is shooting 37% from three, which is quite a good number, especially for someone who handles the ball as frequently as he does. And that's even, I think, slightly higher in their last five games or so. That's pretty average. It, it is, but it's for him, for yeah. where he's been shooting closer to 30 for a lot of his career, I'd say it's a big deal. Excuse me one second. <coughs> Sorry about that. You're sick. You're getting no. us all sick, Ben. I'm good. I'm good. Um, more importantly than those, though, Trey has been Utah's best per-game plus-minus player in this period since the beginning of February. So this isn't a per-possession stat. This is a just overall within games. The Jazz have been outscoring opponents by 5.4 points per game with Trey Burke in since the beginning of February, and that's the best mark on the team. Who, who's more impressive, Trey Burke right now getting the best plus-minus on the Jazz, or are you powering through this 20-minute segment while you're sick? Um, I'm gonna say Trey because I'm, I'm seriously I'm not that sick. I'm just I'm just coughing a little bit. Like it's it's I'll, I will live. I, I I love the denial. No, I it, it's it's fine. Uh, so I, I just think it's great. I mean, now the Jazz, by the way, up five, forced a Memphis Grizzlies timeout. In fact, let's go ahead and take a timeout too. On the other side, we're gonna do Would You Rather with four different Jazz scenarios, uh, some decisions they have to make this summer, and, and you know maybe some possibilities uh, for this team next year for the Utah Jazz in 2015-16. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the show. The Utah Jazz right now are going on a run against the Memphis Grizzlies, 54-47. to 
You know, as we were coming into the show, uh, I, I spent a couple minutes on the Bill and OC show before this, and we were talking about how the Grizzlies might be the best model for who the Jazz want to become long term, right? Yep. Like good front court team, great defense, t- defensive team, small market team, uh, and then you know maybe you add some of the franchise stability aspects of the Spurs, maybe a little bit of the offensive game of the Spurs, and, and maybe you have the the future of the Utah Jazz. I mean, realistically, my dad was asking me about this other night because I told him the Jazz have been the best defense in the league since the start of February. And he was asking me, okay, so doesn't that, if they did that for a full season, doesn't that kind of put you at least close to the point where you're contending, where you can get to a playoff spot? And I said, honestly, yeah, if their offense gets like five to seven spots higher than like roughly middle right of the Right now pack. it's 14th. Yeah. Uh, so if you have a borderline top 10 offense, which 14th is close, but even like if they got it up to 11th, 10th, 9th type of thing and actually had the best defense in the league, then yeah, I mean you're over a full season. You're absolutely contending, and I think that I think you're right. I think that could be the type of model that they look for. Yeah, I, I think you know if you if you're league average on offense and then first at defense, you're probably around the seventh best team in the league. And yeah. for the Jazz, they haven't been the seventh best team in the league, and you know since I don't know 2007, 2008, probably. Yeah, something like that. Um, anyway, so we've got this idea from our friend Clark Schmutz, by the way, Salt City Hoops writer and uh, all-around excellent guy. I did a podcast with him for years, and, and it was super fun. But he's got an idea for us called Would You Rather? So we're going to trade segments, uh, th- basically different Not the drinking game. Ideas. Not the one you play at parties. No, thank goodness. Um, we're going to trade different ideas for, you know, would you rather the Jazz do X or Y? and, and Or... Uh, I mean, you'll see. We'll just alternate it off. It'll be pretty simple. So I'll go ahead and start. Ben, douse it. Would you rather have Gordon Hayward at his salary for the next two and a half years? Remember, he's got a player option after that. Or Rudy Gobert at his salary for the next two and a half years when he will be a restricted free agent? I've known this question for like two and a half hours and still have I, – I don't have a good answer. I'm you knew that I was going to gonna ask I know, it to you I, even. I knew you were going to ask the question. I'm saying Hayward because players of close – and now I'm not saying that Rudy couldn't eventually reach this level, but we know that Hayward has this level in him because we've watched her. Players that approach all-star status level or if he has another gear in him may even hit actual all-star status are – so important in this game that even at the amount of money he's being paid with the salary cap coming up, I I would go Hayward by a nose. It's really close, though, because Rudy's getting paid like a million dollars a year next year, and then it's like two million the year after that, which is awesome for a guy who's one of the best (laughs) defenders in the league. If you made the other side of the argument, I wouldn't wouldn't have an issue with it. I'm going to make the other side of the argument. He's younger. He's cheaper by $15 million a year. Uh, his plus-minus impact, again, over the last season has shown to be equal to what uh, Gordon Hayward's is. So, again, that's good. Where kind of Gordon Hayward helps Jazz on offense, the Jazz helps, or Rudy Gobert helps the Jazz on defense by mm-hmm. about that much. Um, and, and quite frankly, you expect some growth out of Rudy Gobert still, right? As a, as a 22-year-old compared to the older Gordon Hayward. I mean, their, their ages aren't that different, but in terms of experience level... Um, in terms of age, in terms of salary, I, I think I have Rudy Gobert to build around. I mean, to me, he's a more unique piece than Gordon Hayward. Uh, yeah, and see, I don't mind any part of that argument. As far as Gordon's development, I still do think he's not done. I don't think we're looking at a finished product, and the reason That's for true. that is that I think the the pieces around him have never been optimal, and they're, they're approaching that point, but they're still not there yet, and when they are, I think we could see a bit of a different Gordon than what we, or a, a more, uh, again, more optimized Gordon than what we're seeing right now. 
now if you if you kind of take my meaning. Yeah, I, I think he could be a little bit more efficient if he's if he's taking fewer shots with better players around him. Yeah. All right, we got another one, which is also going to involve Mr. Gobert, and I think this one's a little more common because this is one that's floated around the league for the last couple months since both guys started kind of exploding onto the scene. Would you take Rudy right now to build, going forward, Rudy Gobert or Hassan Whiteside? Rudy Gobert. Again, yeah. younger player. The thing with Whiteside is like, yeah, he's been fantastic, and he's better, been better offensively than Rudy Gobert. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, that being said, Rudy Gobert is younger. He doesn't have the four or five years of like significant head caseness that caused multiple yeah. teams to drop him. Um, he's played more minutes this season, so you're more sure that it's a real thing rather than just like a long-term fluke, although Hassan Whiteside is putting those fears to doubt nearly every day. Um, Except when he's tackling people, well, form tackle style. Fair, yes. But, I, I mean, still, he's uh, Rudy Gobert. Uh, this is kind of like what we thought the best of Rudy Gobert would be. Hassan Whiteside, I, I don't think it was like a realistic expectation to think that he could become this based on his first four years. Yeah. And maybe I'm still taking that Bayesian prior into account. You can tell I've been at Sloan. You have definitely been at Sloan. <laughs> and by the way, we're going to do a review of that in the next segment for those who are w- hoping to hear that. I agree. I go I, I go with Gobert. The age is a big factor. Being three years younger is a pretty huge deal. The contract is also a thing. The Heat can, ha- can have white and will have white side next year on a not fully guaranteed contract that's going to be like a couple hundred thousand smaller than Gobert's. But after that, he's off the books. And if I'm not mistaken, he's actually unrestricted because of the way he was signed. At that point, whereas Gobert, the Jazz have him for two more years after this one, plus retain his matching rights afterwards, meaning that should they wish, the Jazz can have Rudy Gobert for this season and what six more seasons after that, if right. if, if they're willing to give him the number of money, the number that he wants. So that's a huge right. Factor. They get to match whatever. So it's not yeah. like Rudy can go to L.A. if if the Lakers gave him a contract again two and a half years from now, the Jazz could match it and keep him for however long that contract yeah, was. Exactly. So, so really, extra year at rookie scale plus matching rights, I think is a is a huge factor that goes into that. Yeah. I didn't even take that into account, quite frankly, and I chose Rudy Gobert. Yeah, I think you could make a pretty good argument for him even without those things because because he's younger and just doesn't tackle people, which is (laughs) probably a good thing. I suppose, yeah. All right, so what's your next one? Next one. Uh, This one's kind of fun, and I've been – this has always been in the back of my head, especially as he's been in Energy Solutions even after the the quote-unquote retirement. So let me get to it. Would you rather have – Jerry Sloan as your current coach or Quinn Snyder as your current coach? It's such an evil question because somebody's going to dislike amazing. me. No matter what my answer is, somebody's going to be pissed at me, right? So now, but here's the thing, and I, ha- I have to answer based on, I have to stay consistent to who I am and with my style. Based on the style with which I approach the game of basketball, Quinn Snyder, and it's not really too close Why? for me. Because he's, he's not to say that Jerry wasn't an insane, wasn't and isn't an insanely smart guy who looks at the game from more, from a lot of angles, which is really all analytics is in the first place, is looking from all available angles at the game. But I, Quinn approaches the game a little bit more in the manner that I do, in ter- less of an old school approach, a bit more of a nod to the quote unquote analytics crowd. I, I hate even saying that word these days, but <laughs> Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean when I am saying it. I, I you know, and part of it I is also recency bias. This is my first year being credentialed with the Jazz. I was I was never able to back when Jerry Sloan was the guy, and I just I. It's unbelievable how much I enjoy talking to Quinn Snyder, even just in where there's lots of other people around in a, in a, a press scrum or whatever. He is so 
unbelievably intelligent and thoughtful about the game of basketball. It's just, it really just fits my style. I kind of can't gush enough about the guy, so he's my selection there. Who's Would you go the other way? Yeah, so, I mean, Jay Slow was not the guy that would, like, impress reporters so much that they would gush about him mm-hmm. on air, right? You know, he stood by the trash can talking about ice picks and whatnot, which mm-hmm. is which is hilarious in its own right and greatly quotable. But, you know, it's yeah. not the same as some, explaining the X's and O's. I probably... Stay the safe route and and stick with the Hall of Fame coach, yes. um, who took a team of nobodies to forty two wins, uh, and you know again one of the great coaches in all, of all time. Um, you know I I do worry about how his schemes would work in today's NBA. That was a bit of it for me as well. Quite frankly, his he's shown such an ability to adapt in that he succeeded offensively again. Some of the so. Two Jazz teams have been the best uh, in the top 10 offensive of all time. So the 97-98 Jazz with John Stockton, Carl Malone, et cetera, et cetera. And, or maybe it's the 96-97 Jazz, but regardless. And the 07-08 Jazz with Darren Williams, Carlos Boozer, Mehmet Okur. And those two, guys, or those two teams played entirely different offensive systems. Uh-huh. I believe Jerry Sloan could have adapted to today's NBA and put together an offensive system that would have been great. I definitely would agree with that. If you put... Uh, defensive player as good as Rudy Gobert. And again, we talked about this last week where I don't think the Jazz have had that good of a defensive player since Mark Eaton's prime. Then who knows what happens to the Jazz? I mean, if Rudy Gobert's on the Stockton and Malone teams, this team wins the championship, I think. It's very, very possible or right, and or likely. Better than Greg Ostertag. Yeah. So, I mean, and okay, I want to just clarify again that I love Jerry Sloan with a passion and that he's great and that there are very few comparisons here where I would take the other guy. I'm just a really huge Quinn Snyder fan. And I'm also young and it's a recent thing and <laughs> yeah. whatever. I mean, you're younger Your than me. Bias. You're younger than me, so that kind of doesn't make any sense. But, no, uh, but I have, all right, I have one that I didn't tell you about previously that I wanted to just okay, throw at you super quick in this because I think it goes right along these lines as well because a lot of jazz fans talk about this over the last couple of years. Quinn Snyder or Jeff? Jeff Hornacek. Uh, Quinn Snyder. Yeah. By by a little. Like, Jeff Hornacek is really good. And I, I do think that he's shown more, actually, as a coach than Quinn Snyder has. Um, and they're actually pretty common characteristically. But I, I think the defense ends up being better with Quinn. Uh, then again, I, I, I don't know. Um, I haven't thought about that one a lot. I pick Quinn in because I think... A number of the elements in terms of pregame planning, rotations, things like that are very similar. But frankly, I've been watching some Suns recently. I think I've watched their last like five games, and I've watched a good amount of them this year. Uh, his play calling, especially near the end of games, Hornacek's has been iffy. Wait, at but best. Quinn Snyder's plays at the end of games have been pretty iffy at best. Too, I've right? liked like, a few of them more than I've liked stuff I've seen from Hornacek lately. I, I don't know. Like we've seen Gordon Hayward turn the ball over, and even the Jazz's game winners at the end of games have been really contested shots. I mean, there was that one uh, Gordon Hayward turnover when they tried to do pick and roll, even though they needed a three, and they were like, "Well, we were looking to to drive and kick." But quite frankly, no good defense is going to give that to you, right? Like yeah. that's. I, I I don't know. I haven't been that impressed with that aspect of Quinn Snyder's game. So if you're going to take that away from Jeff Hornacek, I think you have to make fair. that same complaint about Quinn Snyder. That's fair enough. Speaking of Quinn, he just took a tech for slamming a ball down, which nice. which was nice. You nice. like to see the fire from him. That's the second tech of Quinn Snyder's career. I, I, I wonder what his players are going to say to him. <laughs> we'll see about that. All right. So uh, I've got a next one for you. This is our fourth out of four here. So would you rather have newly drafted D'Angelo Russell at four years on the rookie scale, assuming that the Jazz could find a way to get to that number two pick or number one, two, three type of thing and mm-hmm. or lucked into it in the lottery. Right. 
Or would you rather have Wesley Matthews on a four-year, 14 or more million a year contract, assuming, of course, that the Jazz were able to carve the cap room to, to bring him in? That is a very good question. And it may just be the Ohio State in D'Angelo Russell, but I just am having flashbacks to when I loved, loved, loved Evan Turner as a college prospect, and he completely and totally disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe it's just like, Ohio State wing player, I, I can't trust you anymore yeah. after he, he hurt my heart so hardly. But like... I, 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 I think Wesley Matthews for this Jazz team is such a perfect fit that no to him. Yeah. And, like, a, as a great shooter, as a great defender, um, can drive, can do some post-up things that no other Jazz guard can do. No other guard in the league can do, I think you might. He's the best guard in the league in terms of per, points per possession in the post, per synergy. Yeah. Then, I mean, I, 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 it's a lot of money to give to Wesley Matthews. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But I think... This team takes a huge leap next season if they were able to get a contract done like that. Yeah, I have to agree. Uh, nobody tell Tony Jones, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because b- both sides of it. First of all, Tony Jones loved D'Angelo Russell. And so do I, by the way. I'm huge on D'Angelo Russell. If the Jazz could somehow get him, that that would be... Because both of these things are unlikely, of course, and I would take either one in right. a heartbeat. But... Also, I was debating Tony the other night on who the Jazz's largest target should be, whether it should indeed be Wesley Matthews or whether it should be a Chris Middleton type. And my argument was Wesley Matthews for a number of reasons. And so I I don't think Tony would be happy if he heard this segment entirely. But yeah, I go Matthews in this comparison as well. Also because of my thinking that I've been well on the, on the record with that I think next year is the year for the Jazz to kind of take that leap. And you bring in a, a, a bona fide player rather than a 19-year-old, it gives you a better chance. So of you're that. saying Tony Jones said uh, Chris Middleton? Yeah, because you can get him for slightly less, which is true. But my, part of my counter was that you don't there's you can make even if he accepts your offer, there's no guarantee that he comes over right. because the, the Bucks can just match if they want to. Whereas and if I Wesley, ex- yeah, and I think there's a pretty darn good chance they're matching up to a really big number for but him. But you could do awesome. both, right? Like you could do an offer sheet to Middleton, and then once they match it three days later, you could go to Matthews. Yeah, yeah. That could that timing could work out. It may not, and it's pretty risky. But you, know, you you could try. Yeah, definitely. But in the in a vacuum, I would prefer to, if you could only go after one to go after Matthews. I think he's the more established player and does more of the things the Jazz need well. I agree, and I, I maybe the biggest reason to me is that to me he's more of a natural two compared to Middleton, who's more of a natural three. Yeah, uh, and I like Hayward at the three better than at the two, mostly for defensive reasons. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Okay, cool. Well, so there was a lot of agreement during that. Would you rather? But yeah. we had some disagreement on the Quinn Snyder issue, uh, on the Hayward Gobert issue. I still can't believe you take. Uh, Gordon Hayward moving forward. That's kind of surprising. I'm oh, I'm rethinking it even as we speak. <laughs> yes. But no, but I really do think that one's like in l- ludicrously close. Yeah. Because if Rudy does hit another level, which is like totally possible at this point based on what we've seen from him, he probably becomes we the answer. We keep seeing these flashes where like he has this amazing like post game all of a sudden. Yeah. Like he just had this great move on Marcus Gasol with his left hand layup. Uh, like uh, if he does put together an offensive game, I think it's game over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, let's go ahead and take a break. On the other side of the segment, uh, we're going to talk about the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. I yeah. went there. I was in Boston from last Thursday until yesterday. Got in at midnight. It's been a lovely day. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to talk about a little bit about what I learned, the experience, the people there, uh, and, of course, blogger basketball along with some of the NBA GMs. So tune into that next on the Salt State Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. My name is Andy Larson, managing editor of Salt City Hoops. Ben Dowsett, 
clearly watching the Jazz game and not even paying any attention to what I'm saying. I'm paying full attention to what you're saying while also watching the Jazz. <laughs> that was a nice hook shot, by the way, Derek. What did I just say? You just you didn't say anything. You were saying nothing. I was <laughs> it talking. Was, it was a test. Okay, I'm just I'm just checking. All right, okay, all right. well, on the show right now is our guest, me. Um, <laughs> basically, you wanted to ask me some questions about the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. I went to in Boston this weekend, and so we wanted to give just a couple minutes to that because it, it is actually a really cool experience. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And the other reason is I'm hugely jealous. There's two straight years you've gotten to go, and I haven't gotten to go. I'm sorry. Big jealousy coming from me. But anyway, so the first thing I'm kind of interested in is what's the what's the general schedule there like? I'm assuming sleep is kind of a secondary concern. Yeah, but, it gets hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what is what is the schedule? What is one day like? What was Saturday like, for example? Yeah. Like, so Saturday, I mean, conference begins at eight thirty. Um, so, you know, you, I spent way too much money on Uber driving into the conference every day. And then, uh, you know, there's basically a panel one an hour, um, for the rest of the day until about five. Um, and they don't overlap each other. So conceivably, no, they don't. So there, there's about 15 minutes in between where you can move to any of the other panels. So there are actually three going on at at any time. Oh, okay. So there are multiple panels going on at at any time. Yeah. And in different rooms. So like you can bounce from... Like, if they do football and basketball at the same time, let's say, you could go to the basketball one first and then go to a basketball research paper the next and then go to Daryl Morey talking about negotiations the next hour. Okay, so for example, if you're, you know, like you, a basketball guy, you there's if you plan it right, you could pretty much miss none of the relevant basketball stuff yeah. throughout the weekend. Yeah, and, you know, they're smart about planning it that way, so they, not all of the basketball stuff's at the same time. Because obviously, you know, with every NBA team sending someone this year, uh, if you're an NBA guy, if you work for an NBA team, you don't want to go and then miss out on some of the basketball content. Right? Yeah. Oh, you, yeah. You, in the end, don't care about NFL analytics or whatever it is. Or if you do, you can watch them later because they do. By the way, guys, just so you know, yeah, uh, they have a YouTube channel. It's off. I believe it's 42 Analytics is what the, the YouTube channel is. You can subscribe to it. It costs like 30 bucks for the year or something like that, and you can watch I don't think all the panels. I think there's certain stuff that they don't put on there, really? huh. or maybe they do they put should. it all. I'm not sure. And For I've thirty been, bucks, I want my money's worth. Yeah, no, me too. <laughs> and uh, I've, I've watched a couple of them. Although one of them was like flashing green lights, which was kind of weird. It was the audio was there, but it was just green flashing neon lights. It felt like a rave. I was I wasn't too into it. <laughs> um, okay, so you, the next one you had written here is no analytics in the analytics conference. I wasn't actually sure what you meant. So it's it's funny, like because you have you end up having these panels like the basketball analytics panel, which uh-huh. has uh, Mike D'Antoni on it, Jeff Van Gundy on it, uh, Shane Battier, Mike Zarin, who's the assistant GM of the Celtics, and I, I think Pablo Torre was a moderator for that. But okay. you end up having like two guys who are analytically oriented, and then you, you kind of have your, like, your Charles Barkley of the panel almost and Jeff Van Gundy, who's actually like medium. He's actually anal- kind of open to it. Right, yeah. kind of open to it, but you know, is is not... He likes to make fun of the terms and things right. like that, but he actually kind of does subscribe to the line of thinking, right. which is interesting. But in the end, instead of having interesting conversations about how to actually do basketball analytics, you know, what you're studying, what you're looking at, um, what teams are doing it well, that sort of thing, instead of looking at the specifics of basketball analy- analytics, what we've learned, they're just talking about how it's going to be growing in the future. So, you know, how do you communicate these things to coaches? What's on the next frontier? Th- that sort of like open ended questions that makes it m- much more of. A 
I, I, makes it much more of a general basketball conference than an NBA analytics conference. I mean, huh. maybe the biggest storyline out of this whole conference was this Jeff Van Gundy, uh, or maybe the biggest quote, sorry, of this conference was the Jeff Van Gundy telling teams how to how to coach your fourth grade girls squad. Like, that's I haven't that's, I haven't seen that one. So I wrote that... the article on ESPN. You got to read everything I write, Ben. I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, but um, yeah, check it out on ESPN on the True blog. Yeah, you should have mentioned I, that, by the way. Yeah. I, sorry, I, no, but I, I wrote this um, just little tiny snippet on what Jeff Van Gundy said. He basically said, you know how, um, oh, what's the Sacramento owner's name? Vivek, Vivek Renadive. Vivek yeah. Renadive. Um, he said that the best way to coach girls basketball is to do this like high press thing, right? And it was profiled by Malcolm Gladwell in his book. Uh, I believe it was Outlier. No, David no, no, and Glo- David Goliath, Goliath was, was the one. one yeah. Uh, Jeff Angunio basically said, that's BS, and the way that you do this, the way that you coach fourth-grade girls successfully is, A, have the best players, yeah. and B, make sure they can make layups. C, the bad players that you have, you have to keep them out. You have to convince them that they're sick or something, because everyone in fourth-grade girls basketball gets to play the same amount of time. That's so cold, and Jeff. so kick out the bad two girls, then your team's going to be great. Your best players three, play three quarters. Yeah, that's, that's what he said. Uh, no, like, I, I, that's you know, not an analytics conference kind of thing, you know? The, but, but what's funny about it is he's almost certainly right. Right. <laughs> like, that's, but that's great. All right, yeah. so we got like a minute and a half left before we got to go to the break again. So just tell me two or three of the of the best things that you learned at the conference. Like what, what were some of the things you're taking home with you? I mean, probably the best thing that I did there was pick up basketball with the rest of the league. Um, so, uh, I mean... Guys like Bob Myers, guys like Mike Zarin, um, and then some of the other NBA bloggers like ES, or ESPN's uh, Sherwood Strauss, Ethan Sherwood Strauss. Sorry, or can he play? I've Henry always Abbott. wondered if Sherwood he's Strauss can ball. Not, he's pretty good. Like he's okay. he's got a he's speedy. He knows what his game is. Um, he's one of the best player, players there. Probably the very best player was Warriors GM Bob Myers because he's like six seven and, okay. and really good. But um, so like getting out to hang out with those guys and learn about what's going on in the league, what people are thinking about. I really like some of Mike Zarin's uh, reform lottery ideas. He's got a couple of tweaks to maybe the ones you've heard, so we can talk about those later around the NBA. Yeah, definitely. Um, And, and, yeah, and then some of the research papers there were good as well about how to measure defense especially differently. That one split the the top prize, right? Okay. Cool. Well, that's good stuff. I mean, I'm – I've always been most interested in going for it just to meet the people and everything. But the, that's the, definitely the best part. Yeah, yeah. I would. That's that's what I would be most excited for, at least if I was going. Yeah, no. That that's definitely the best part. You don't get that much from the panels. You do get a lot from like the hotel room conversations and talking to people about what they do. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Well, let's go ahead and take another break. But on the other side of the segment, we're going to talk to Jimbo Redding, Salt City Hoops writer, about his mailbag and everything else. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. And welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. So we're trying to get Jimmy, or we do, okay. So we've got Jimbo running on the show, cool. Um, before we do, though, I just want to talk about what the Jazz are doing right now. They have a 12-point lead on, on the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, Rudy Gobert has 11 points, 22 rebounds. And somehow it doesn't have any blocks, but his front court mate Derek Favors is making up for it with three on his behalf. They should have it. four, except they called a foul. Yeah, jerks. What did the, re- the ball ain't, ball ain't lying, the... though. He missed the first free throw. Ball nice. ain't lying. <laughs> ball ain't lying? Is that is that a new way to say it? Ball don't lie. It's or... ball. Do- yeah, it's ball don't lie. That, well, that's... The sheed has has specified the way to uh, to do this. The ball is truthful. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go with that one. The from ball now on. has much verisimilitude to the truth. Oh my goodness! Okay. <laughs> 
let's yeah. let's get Jimbo into this because well we're not we're laughing anyway. Jimbo, how are you doing? Good, good. Just so you guys know, uh, thanks a lot. I am DVRing the game. I haven't started it yet, so oh, oh no. we better win. We better win, or else you guys are in big trouble. I'm sorry. Okay, well you don't know anything about what's happening, but this was all one big elaborate fake out, basically. <laughs> the um. Ball don't lie. How do you feel about ball don't lie? If you were an NBA player, Jimbo, would you say ball don't lie as much as Rasheed Wallace did? Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. You bet. Ball don't lie. <laughs> I get it. It makes sense to me. You're not a fan of ball is truthful. No, no. Ball don't lie. I, I say that like easy fifty times anytime I play pickup ball. <laughs> so. What What are some other Jimbo pickup ball phrases like? Well, okay. So th- I know I've I've played pickup ball against you, and you're and you're not doing like your half court or your halftime routines while we're doing pickup. I, you seem like a normal guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm pretty normal. Uh, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't know that that that's me online. That's that's kind of the way I like it, I guess. You're I'm one of the, one of those one of the quieter guys who doesn't speak up much unless you've like hit a game winner type of thing. Yeah, something like that. I mean, I, I am known to scream out. He can't guard me uh, <laughs> numerous times, no matter if I score or not. So right, you know. I mean that that's actually best used after a couple of misses because you right. know they're not expecting some greatness <laughs> from you. All right, well, exactly. you you and your mailbag today um, had a, an, actually an interesting list of the top ten day contracts of all time, and I, I wanted for the to jazz get, for, for the, the jazz. jazz. Sorry. And I, I wanted to get you to reprise that a little bit on the air because it actually was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, you bet. Uh, that was a good question, by the way. Um, that's at uh, E, the regulator. Um, so my, 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 ten, my, my best top 10, 10-day uh, jazz contracts, I have Eliza Millsap at number one, and I think that's mainly because he's a starter now. <laughs> that seems fair. Does, yeah. Does that ever happen? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not sure, but for yeah, for somebody to go from that to be playing like close to 30 minutes a game recently, then yeah, I think it's pretty impressive. I would agree with him at number one on the list. Um, and uh, you know, a lot of that's due to injury, and but we'll you know we'll let it slide. That's cool. <laughs> uh, number two, I have Sunday out of games, and that's purely for the shot, pretty much. Yeah, that shot is is one of a, the top five moments in jazz history, if you ask me. I have no oh. issue with him being ranked there. I would have had no issue with him being ranked number one because of that shot. Yeah, I totally agree. That was one of the greatest nights ever. Uh, number three, I have uh, Lewis uh, Amundsen or Amundsen. Amundsen. I really want to say that. Uh, he's he's stuck in the league for quite a while, and uh, he seems like a pretty solid. Uh, 12th man. I think I saw somebody on Twitter earlier today say that he got the last introduction today in the Knicks game nice. when he came out or something. Which, <laughs> yeah, it's the Knicks, so I don't know if that's really an honor. But at the same, like, okay, you 10-day contract and now he's getting announced last for an NBA team as a starter? That's pretty good. Like, that's hilarious. Yeah. I love that. Now, plus, plus he's got some beautiful hair. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, you can't, uh, that, I mean, that, that, has to, that has to go into the ranking there. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four, Otheus Jeffers. Um, I don't know, you know, whatever. <laughs> We're kind of down to the <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I loved Otheus Jeffers because he would shoot any time he got the ball. If it's you know in garbage time, he's like, "This is my time to shine, guys. I got well, a ten day contract. I've got places to be in a week. Let's get this done." 
Uh, I love how he was known as like the quickest first step ever, but then he could never finish any at the rim at all. Right. To just either get fouled or most of the time not get fouled. So, uh, yeah, number five, I got Ben uh, hand lotion. <laughs> uh, he was he was uh, he was a big a big guy, and that's about it. I legitimately don't know who that is. He was on the o three o four Jazz that will rem- always remain an in infamy as Jerry Sloan's best coaching job. Um, <laughs> Mostly because he was playing Ben and hand lotion, as you as you put it so well, um, so many minutes. Okay. Yeah. So uh, number six, uh, Blake Ahern. Yeah. The shooter. He could shoot the ball, couldn't he? Like he was. He might be more valuable. Well, he was in 2012, but like even I mean, the game has changed in three years. He might be a tad more valuable today, right? Like although he right, kind of couldn't like, do anything else really, could he? That's a, yeah. I mean, you could run Seth Curry there too, I guess, and and have the same result, which yeah. is. He can make some threes, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number seven, I had Kyle Weaver. And uh, I don't know anything much. Well, not a whole <laughs> lot about Kyle Weaver. So We're entering into he a He was on the team it... for, uh, I hear, 10 days, perhaps even 20. But, yes. I'm interested to see <laughs> like what, what percentage of our listenership we're just completely <laughs> losing right now. Because they're just yeah. like, who are these people? <laughs> right. Uh, number eight probably should have been a little higher, but Mikey Moore. Uh, he stuck around for a little while, and, and he actually had a pretty good career, I think, for a guy that probably wasn't supposed to have a career at all. Okay. Yeah, that's that's uh, a that's you sleeping. That's like you putting a high player low on the list just so you get your Facebook comments up. Like you're you're just trying to drive engagement with that ranking with Mikey Moore. He he deserves to be like four or five on this list. Yeah, I, I agree. Now and, and now <laughs> that I look at that, I'm, I'm really disappointed in myself uh, answering this question. I got this all wrong, <laughs> but. Uh, I think but, the uh, fact no. that you unearthed these players in the first place, it almost doesn't matter what order they're in after, like, the first three. So. Yeah, yeah, no no one cares, and, and, I, and I, I agree. Uh, nine and ten is, is a tie uh, between uh, Blorf, Gunderfront, and Stephen Portfinger. <laughs> uh, those are, those Naturally. are some, uh, yeah, some players that, uh, you know, we, we just want to forget, really. Are those are the two little bios that you wrote for each of those guys in your article? Are those true at all, or did you just make? <laughs> did you just completely make those up? No, no, that just comes from uh, the old noggin. <laughs> that's, that's from nothing. I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read those for people real quick, just for those who didn't read the article. Under uh, Blorf Gunderfront, 1982 of space, <laughs> his teammates would call him Barf because they all hated the way he hummed a little while he ate. And then Stephen Portfinger. Steve was a replacement player after the boys were shipped off to war. The fans used to call him Poop Flinger because of the bizarre manner in which he shot the ball. So, good stuff, Jimbo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's something, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. It sounds horrible red, uh, red back to me, but you know, that's fine. <laughs> whatever. Jimbo, what have you done exactly? I'm ashamed of your writing. Um, <laughs> Am I... Uh... <laughs> no. you're, you're ashamed of my writing? I'm just yes. That's why we have you on Salt City Hoops is because I'm just deeply ashamed and, and I, I can't even. I don't know. Okay, speaking of the opposite of ashamed, something really, really big happened to you recently, and that is that Jimmer Fredette followed you on Twitter. Tell me when this happened and what your reaction was at the time. Oh my gosh, it was uh, man about I don't know a month ago, give or take, and uh, you know I I, I got. I opened my email in the morning, and there it was. He, he followed me, and I, I kind of had to look at it and stare at it for a second because I figured that maybe someone had made a, a fake account, you know, just yeah. to mess with me. So, I mean, it took me a while, and I, I went to my followers list and clicked on his link, and it was him, and I, I did it again. <laughs> he helped me again. 
saw the blue check mark. Yeah, yeah, and then I, yeah, and then I, uh, then I sent it out on Twitter, and you know, I had to leave work for the day, and <laughs> I composed myself. It was, yeah, it was, it was a big day for me. Really, it was, it was, it was interesting. But still, no retweet. No, no retweet. You know what? And, and I'll take, the, I'll take the follow. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I wasn't really ever expecting a retweet, and you know, it was mainly just to do it to, because that's my shtick. You know, that's my thing, and so I was, I was happy with the follow, and, and still I am. In fact. I have to check it every day to make sure he still follows me. <laughs> That's a big thing. Once somebody like that follows you, you've got to, like, John Hollinger followed me a few months ago, and I check it way more than I should to make sure he hasn't yeah. unfollowed me for some ridiculous thing I've said. Exactly, and I, and I have to worry about that every single day because that's pretty much all I do. <laughs> yeah, the, the pressures of fame are, are really are really high. Um, <laughs> all right, well, I want to ask you one last question. Um, what's your all-time favorite mailbag question you've gotten yeah so uh this is a good one this is actually from one of my neighbors um that you know i had i told about the the mailbag and so he that's like his goal is to get get a question every week but um so his question is uh at rp tanner nine his question is uh what's the bigger waste of god-given gift dante's refusal to ever sprint or Kufus is not being a friar every Halloween. <laughs> I don't know. That's a pretty good question. Awesome. I think I'm perfect. going with the former there pretty convincingly myself, but No, I, I think like Kufus and Nick Calathis could really have something going there as like a as a partner or as a couple costume, just going as, as a couple of your, you know, regular old type friars. Yeah, yeah. Felicus, I haven't I haven't thought of that guy forever. <laughs> but that's true. Well, he is he is featured in tonight's Jazz Grizzlies game, which we'll let you get to. Yeah. It's almost over, so you can watch the DVR later. But thanks so much, Jimbo, for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. And, guys, if you don't regularly check it out, you need to go begin checking it out. It's a weekly mailbag that Jimbo has. It's it's the start of the week now rather than the end of the week. No, so, so it was Tuesday because he missed it last Friday because, you know, he actually had things to do in Jimbo. Last, and he oh, had okay. to make sure – Many times last Friday that Jimmer was still following him. Okay, so that was that. So, of course, takes we published pressure. one today. We will also publish one next Friday. Expect it on Fridays going forward. Okay, yeah, and you guys got to check it out. It's a real like. It's not often, honestly, that I can laugh out loud while reading stuff. Like it's my threshold for laughter has has come a lot <laughs> higher as I've gotten older. But I legitimately do when That's I'm reading so Jimbo's mailbag. It's great. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, I, I just want to have Jimbo on because, yeah, he is legitimately hilarious. But let's do around the NBA really quick. As the Jazz, wow, okay, so as we speak, the Jazz are wrapping up a 93-80 victory. They've still got 20 seconds left, so maybe some team scores in here or gets fouled or whatever. But Ho-hum, Jazz beating a title contender on the road. I mean, this is the second time they've beat Memphis on the road yep. this season. Now, both times Memphis has had a couple of guys missing, and you have to give that caveat. Zach Randolph missed tonight, as did Tony Rudy Gobert, jump shot! Oh! Oh, dang it. All right. That would have been amazing. That would have been pretty awesome. But Sorry. they're going to get the I was W so nonetheless. Yeah, there's five. He took a 15-foot elbow jumper. And it that would be the first elbow jumper. Like, How many jump shots, period, has he taken this season? I think like under 10, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and, and from outside the paint, like I again, I can't think of anything longer than 15 feet. I would have loved to see that go in. Hit yeah. back iron. So close, Rudy. I but see I, him taking like three-point shots in warm-ups, and I'm like... <laughs> seen him make one or two. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, I mean, that's right. Uh, DJ Jazzy Jody, Jody Gensley from the Deseret News, um, posted a vine of him making two in a row which is cool yeah that's pretty awesome but so anyway jazz won that game it's over now we'll talk about that on the next segment we'll have a little we'll do this song again at the time then as well i think yeah 
But let's do around the NBA really quick so then we can get to the commercial break, learn what we missed about this game, and talk about it a little bit. So um, around the NBA, let's let's get it started. Uh, first of all, Rockets over the Cavs. I, was this last night or two nights ago? 105, Sunday night. 103 in, in probably the best game of the season. Just an overtime game, back and forth. The league's Two of the league's biggest stars in James Harden and LeBron James going at each other. Um, James Harden actually got suspended for kicking LeBron in the groin during that game. Yep. Um, and then afterwards, the Rockets proclaimed James Harden as the new King James taking over for LeBron James. I know you love the narrative stuff. What did you think about um, it? Huge on the narrative, as we all know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That game basically did nothing for me but reinforce how little I enjoy watching James Harden play basketball. Hmm. And I, I don't know. I, I, I went on a thing the later that night. I was at work while it was happening, but then I, I, later when I got home, I put a little one of my patented Twitter rants there for a few tweets. You're good at this. I am. I've gotten better at them not being so inflammatory anymore. <laughs> They're kind of just like rantish. But... Uh, That was basically about, you know, I get wanting to be the best at all costs uh, or at almost any cost. I get wanting to put in the work and the time. You know, there was that Lee Jenkins article about Harden a couple of weeks ago that was awesome in Sports Illustrated that talked about kind of the the path he's trying to take to becoming the best player. And to me, there's that, and that's great. And when I play sports, I'm one of the most maniacal competitors you've ever played with. <laughs> so I, I can't necessarily complain. Tell but me, the, I, I want to know how that comes out. Like, oh, do you ha- can bad. you give me an example? One of these days, because we'll I get actually my dad have the same the way. Like, uh, when I'm playing like indoor soccer or something, like I'm remarkably competitive and awful. Like I am worse than any Los Angeles Clipper. Yeah, I, I whine to the referees. Uh-huh. I get I get the technical blue cards, if you will. Yep. Um, I mean, I am legitimately an awful person to play with or against. I have been kicked off of teams because I am such a poor sport. Now I okay. Here's the difference for me. I I do all those same things. I'm really bad with the referees. I've been suspended from my adult hockey league more than once this year for talking to the referees. Wait, suspended? Uh, so like you get suspended for the next game they actually suspended me wow. again. they actually suspended me two games like, two games like three weeks ago what did you do i cannot say that on the radio <laughs> unfortunately but uh they and but i'm actually a really good teammate my teammates always like me it's the other teams that don't because the other thing that i do is i just become a really petty like i'm one of those people who can say one snide remark that really gets under your skin <laughs> like at pickup basketball i've had people try to fight me like multiple times before wow. because also because at pickup it's different at hockey cuz i'm good at hockey cuz i played my whole life i'm not good at basketball at actually playing it so when i play pickup plus i'm talking smack to people that kind of rubs people the wrong way like somebody who's not even good just talking crap to them anyway so yeah i'm the like sort of get under people's skin agitator type yeah, no, I, I, I'm kind of there too. I mean, I don't really get, I guess I do get under people's skin, but then I just whine so much that, yeah, my teammates hate me, especially because it's like co-ed division five. Like I yeah. should probably not care as much as I do, but then, yeah, I get kicked off of teams. And basically the moral of the story is the people you're listening to on, on today's show are terrible people yep. who you don't want to hang out and with. And do as we, we say. freak out out there, okay? <laughs> <laughs> keep our composure. <laughs> that was really well done. John. That's exactly it. Uh, and do as we say, not as we do, basically, is what we're telling you. But anyway, to get back to the point about Harden, yes, I understand being competitive, and I understand wanting to win at every cost because it's been how I've played sports my whole life. But to me, and this actually grows when you're a massively successful athlete, a multimillionaire, by basically any calculation, a hugely successful human being like James Harden is, mm-hmm. I think pride in yourself 
becomes a thing at that point that that if I was in his position, yes, I would want to be the best. I would want to be the best, but I would not want to do it at the expense of my own pride about myself. And with all the stuff we read about how self-aware Harden is and how intelligent he is, none of which I doubt, it to me it bugs me on a certain level how far he goes out of his way to try and make himself into an unlikable player. He, he, <laughs> he goes out of his way to... I mean, he kicked another player in the groin, like, clearly, obviously, on TV. A guy who's his friend off the court. Like, they, right. they've that, talked about that. That's competition. To me, it's not at all. Like, what does that do for the game except get, give the other team a free throw, which is all You're it right. did in that game. And should have had him kicked out, and they should have lost the game as a result. He's just lucky the referees were light, were light on him because it was a huge game and it was in Houston. Um, I'm, I'm, I know I'm a little biased at this point because it's been this way for a long time. I just don't like James Harden. I don't want, like watching him play basketball. I think it's too bad, honestly, that he's become that his type has become one of the best players in the league because he he's like the the. Did you ever play video games online? I never did, but I had friends who did it a lot. <laughs> okay. He's like those guys who find a legal exploitation of one of the rules in the game legal. They're not doing anything illegal, but they just sit there and exploit it the over cheesers, and over and like over you're, again. You're Madden cheesers, exactly. You those yes. guys. He's like one of those, except in the NBA. He exploits. The basketball guys are watching. Exactly. He ex- he's exploiting the the souls in the game to try and be the best. And to me, I don't know. I'm just not that big into it, especially when we've got guys like LeBron and Kevin Durant who are the best by just being the best. Like they don't. Not that LeBron doesn't flop every once in a while. Not that Durant doesn't do something goofy every once in a while. But it's not part of their identity like it is for Harden, and that's my issue. Anyway, ran over. That was a good rant, though. Yeah, not too bad, right? That, I mean, that was that was impassionate. That was that was well done. Let's move on to something that uh, also has to do with the Rockets, but their general manager Daryl Morey. Uh-huh. This is actually another article I wrote for ESPN.com released. This today, one I did read by um, on the contingency trade offers. Basically, Daryl Morey's problem is that teams in the NBA are afraid to make moves because of fear. Like they fear that if you trade away James Harden, he'll become an all-star, which is of course what happened. Uh-huh. So what he thinks is maybe they could have a similar system to the NHL or Major League Baseball where the uh, return in a trade becomes contingent on how well that player plays. So, for example, if you trade Ennis Cantor away and he becomes an all-star level player, maybe Oklahoma City is okay with giving up two first-round picks. But if he becomes a bench player or doesn't play at all, then he... You know, maybe the Jazz only get a second round pick instead of a first and a second. What are yeah, your thoughts? I love that idea. Uh, as you noted in your article, this one I did read and I liked it a lot. That uh, there are other sports that kind of have a little bit of this involved in their negotiations. Like in hockey, they basically say future considerations in the NHL. Right. In fact, uh, the, the team I root for just did a deal like this. This over this trade deadline, they traded a he's a he's a depth guy. He's, there's a chance that he doesn't play for the team that he was traded to. So. The part of the condition was, depending on how they do for the rest of the year and whether he plays a certain threshold of minutes, the, the pick that will be returning to the team I root for is, will vary based on that. Or if he doesn't play at all, they're just not going to get anything back for him at all. Which, and I like that a lot. I think it's a, I think it's a good way of... Play, look, listen, trades and player movement are great for the popularity of leagues. Fans like that stuff. They like to see moves being made. They like to see deals get done. Like a trade deadline like this last one where all sorts of crazy stuff went down is fun. Like, that's entertaining. Yeah. And I think you're only encouraging trades and more moves when you add in something that makes them easier to do. It would be interesting to see if the players' union would agree to that because, you know, the people who don't benefit when trades are made are players. They have to move across that's the country. True. They have to, you know, unsettle their families. 
they would have to agree to that because it'd be part of the collective bargaining agreement. And I'm not sure that they would because, again, maybe more movement is not a good thing. That might be your obstacle. Um, there are a bunch of different like injuries and things going on in, around the league, so I just kind of want to talk rapid to you fire. and yeah, get those rapid fire. One, West, Russell Westbrook actually dented his face, which like if you haven't seen this picture, it's incredible. Dude just, is a like, cyborg. Somehow, leave a mark. yeah, yeah, somehow has a dent in his face. I uh, like the, I, I just can't even imagine what that would. Be. And he got back up and played the rest of the game. Yeah, and then which uh, was only like a minute. But and still. I, I I'm a man. that if that. Dent had been two inches to the left, you know, closer to his ear in the temple. Russell Westbrook would be dead by now. So, again, not That's great. ridiculous. But, um, anyway, he's out for, I believe, one or two more games, and then we'll be It'd playing be with a mask. Yeah. Um, being playing with a clear mask, not a black mask, which is a, a bummer because there would be nothing more fitting for a player than to wear a black mask and, and Russell Westbrook. Yeah, pretty much. They outlawed that after LeBron last year, I think. Lame. Yeah. Clear masks are... Or, or, yeah, not as cool as the Batman. Mask. Definitely not. Uh, Rajon Rondo was suspended last week for getting in that little tizzy with with uh, Dallas Mavericks coach Rick Carlisle. Basically, it seems like Rick Carlisle called a play, Rajon Rondo ignored it, and then uh, Carlisle called timeout and benched at Rondo for the rest of the game, then suspended him for the next game. I worry about them. I, I mean, I, I love Rajon Rondo still because he does play maybe the NBA's most exciting style, or maybe did before the injury, but. Uh, it it doesn't seem to be working out well in Dallas. Yeah, I would then. Still not a fan of the trade now. I'm not big on Rondo. I don't think he's what they needed there, and I think they had a great thing going before that, and now they're kind of in some dire straits. But we'll see. See how it goes. Another Six. another injury, right? Or no? Okay, sorry. Yeah, um, Sixers are waving Javale McGee, so he'll be available to sign for any contender or non-contender that wants to. It's interesting to me that contenders are actually lining up to sign Javale McGee. Yeah, that's gonna we're gonna have a moment sometime in the playoffs where somebody's like, "Wait, why did these guys sign this guy again?" <laughs> Just yeah, can he mark feels my like words. the Andrew Bynum of the Pacers last year, where he might take him a step back. Maybe that could happen to another NBA team this year. Yeah, I would never come close um, to that guy. Jimmy Butler is out three to six weeks with an injury. That oh, hey, a Bulls a player got hurt. What a <laughs> shocker there. Like, yeah, sorry. I know that it's kind of bandwagoning because everyone talks about it at this point. But, like, yeah, when you're playing your guys 40 minutes a game every game, the hurt goes slightly up. I know the injury itself was a freak injury. Stepped on a guy's foot or whatever. But or no, I don't know but if that's that's more likely was. to happen when you play 40 minutes compared to 30. Exactly. And that's, you know, at a certain point, maybe their coach will likely. realize that. But that seems to be his thing at this point is having the guys that lead the league in minutes per game. So, yeah, I want go. I wanted your thoughts on the Larry Sanders saga, because he's he's someone who it doesn't seem like he wants to play basketball anymore. It doesn't seem like it fits his personality. He's he's been very upfront about these mental health issues. But then when when the team put him in a mental health facility after this latest drug incident, um, he actually withdrew early, about seven days early from when the, the rehab would have ended. So it's a little bit worrying that he's taken the buyout, and, and now no one really knows what's next for Larry Sanders. Yeah, and there was an excellent, excellent piece on ESPN by Kevin Arnovitz uh, down yeah. these lines, to sort of detailing that whole situation. I... I come in on the side of, of someone who's really sympathetic to, to, to Larry Sanders because I have friends and family members that have dealt with not the same issues. I don't know exactly what Larry's issues are, but similar ones, and I have a, I have a lot of, of, of respect for that and for sort of what it can do to you as a person. And you know what? I think we make this assumption that because a guy has the talent and the ability to do something that they just should no matter what, that they should always do that. Now, if you want to say that it's a bit disingenuous that he made all this money and then decided this afterwards, I would say to a point that makes sense, right? But in terms of, you know, 
oh, look at how successful he is. He should, you know, he should be totally fine. What's he whining about? I'm definitely not down that line of thought, and I really just hope that as a person, he is is well before yeah, and we think about any yeah, of this just other stuff. Like, be, just because they make a lot of money doesn't mean that like all the other issues go down the drain, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's unfair for people to expect, and I, I wish the best for him moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, we have no LOL Lakers segment this oh. time. We we don't get a drop. We don't get yakety sacks because the Lakers embarrassed the Jazz at home. I mean, it was it was only a three point win, so maybe embarrassed is a strong word. But when you lose to the Lakers, it's embarrassing. And they they had we won three straight at that point. No as well. LOL Lakers segment this week because, quite frankly, if anything, we should have an LOL Jazz segment for, for how bad game. that Wednesday game was. Well, they made up for it tonight. They beat Memphis that's on true. the road. So yeah, so they could have like a six game winning streak, they right? Realistically, uh, that's should. That's what's so sad. Thank you. Exactly. Anyway, let's go ahead and move on to our next segment. Um, now that we've had some time about it uh, to look at it, we're going to recap the Jazz game, uh, what we thought about tonight's game against Memphis. Again, the Jazz won by 11. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Very nicely done, Mr. John, the producer. John LaFollette, thanks again for producing the show. So, yeah, the Jazz won tonight by 11. Again, against Memphis, you're, again, another Western Conference contender that they held to a low number of points. I don't think that's their season low, 82. But, again, it was great defense, a 90 defensive rating. That's about what they've been averaging for the last, I don't know, 10 or so games. Which, over the full season, would be, like, far and away the best defensive rating in the league. And, like, one of the best defensive ratings of the last... 20 years yeah so pretty remarkable stuff i mean memphis isn't exactly world beaters offensively they no, are especially pretty, without zach randolph yeah they are pretty good defensively and the jazz put up a roughly league average per possession number against them tonight which that's i'm actually a little bit more than i am by the defense myself yeah i mean if if you can do well as an offense against this memphis jazz d again with even with the substitutions they didn't have tony allen they didn't have zach randolph but still you'd expect marcus and costa kufus to be a good defensive front line yeah yeah definitely i mean kufus is very good defensively so yeah. yeah um really impressive especially an impressive fourth quarter which i think the jazz came into the quarter leading by they won the Four, quarter by eight so yeah so they were leading by yeah or three or i can't do math three but, yes you're right yeah so they were yeah they were leading by three points coming in great fourth quarter the jazz once again as we were talking about earlier in the show did it despite a slightly rough game from gordon hayward he picked it up in the second half he had a, he had a good second half but overall i mean they didn't need him to go out there and kind of and sort of well i'm saying this well he had 21 8 and 6 <laughs> With three steals, so I should probably shut up. He really did. Gordon a, Hayward had a good game tonight. He really did have a great second half because he was two for nine at right. the half, and he finished nine for nineteen. So that means he went what seven for ten in the second half. Which yeah, is that's good. And then, good. as you point out, even struggling with the other parts of the game, even even if you count that as struggling, shooting forty five percent, then putting up eight rebounds, six assists, three steals is exactly what you want to see. Yeah, absolutely. And how, only how about, two turnovers. How about the play of Dante Exum? He um, wow. So only three points, made a three-pointer in the first quarter, um, but had seven assists, which is good for him. Uh, two I think that's blocks, his career which high, is impressive. isn't it? Seven assists? It might be. I, I'll have to go back and check. Um, 
and, and, and then to have the the team high plus twenty seven against Memphis in a in a game that they win by eleven, he held Mike Conley to eleven four assists. I mean, Mike Conley is a better player than that. For Dante Exum to guard him that well is really impressive. Yeah, I was I I I would say I was like seven eighths tuned into the game for the parts that I was watching. I had to drive over here during like the second quarter. Were you watching the game while you were driving? I, no, 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 okay, no. Good. I mean, that, that's the part that I missed. And then while we okay. were here, you have to. Yeah, Thank you, goodness. exactly. So um, that said, and I'm, I'm basing some of this also off of what I read on Twitter, this may have been Dante Exum's best defensive game thus far this year. The, the defensive rating, again, is something that I really like to go to, and he was the best on the team by far. While he was out there, like you what said, was it? it was, uh, let's see, 70. Wow. Oh, man. I, no, it, it starts with a 7. It though. starts with a 7, which is pretty awesome. 72.2. Wow. He held, that means when Dante Exum was on the floor, Memphis scored 72.2 points per 100 <laughs> possessions. And he played 26 minutes, which is not a paltry amount for tonight. And again, started. So that's against your starting lineup of, of Mike Conley, Mark Gasol, Costa mm-hmm. Kufis, admittedly, but Jeff Green. I mean, these are good players that he was playing against. Yeah, it absolutely. wasn't the John Lawyers, it wasn't the Jordan Adams, mm-hmm. it was the Memphis starting lineup. And he did put up his career high for assists by two. He hadn't even had six before tonight. Wow. Was, so his career high for assists. <laughs> All right. And I, as I said earlier in the show, I did. I saw a couple times where he maybe took at just a dribble or two more than we've seen him in the past in the lane. You know, Again, still not where he needs to be. He's not taking it to the rack like he should be. But made a, he had a couple of good passes to Rudy Gobert for dunks that we were looking at. Um, a little bit more incisive play offensively. Just super, super baby steps like toddler steps. But he's you know, the fact that those are happening at all with, of course, attached to how well he played defensively is, is really encouraging for tonight. Yeah, it's interesting because we talk about that rookie wall, right, where guys just not giving any more effort after that. And then he's playing great defense at the end of the year, right? And that's yeah. what you generally think of taking more effort. So mm-hmm. I, I guess it's interesting to see that he's doing so well at that side of the game while, again, struggling offensively. Yeah, and... Overall, though, I think there's not a single player that you point to in this game. I think the Jazz just played a really, really great overall team game. I mean, Rudy Gobert's 24 rebounds jumps out at you. He had 15 points and 24 rebounds. He didn't get any blocks today, so he must have figured that he had to have some gaudy, ridiculous <laughs> rebound figure to make up for that, which I guess is his style. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, so if you have 24 rebounds and what? Each rebound is worth three blocks in Rudy Gobert land? I'm making it up. But if you put 15, 15, and 3, maybe that's about as good as 15 and 24. Yeah, not bad. And then and Derek Favors had three blocks in his stead. 21 points as well. Favors had, a, had another really good game. And, for, you know, once again, we watched this Jazz front line of Gobert and Favors with, uh, tonight, a good amount of help from both Trevor Booker and Jeremy Evans. Evans got eleven over 11 minutes tonight, which is good for him, and played well in those minutes. He was a plus 12 while on the court. Uh, we saw the Jazz's front line kind of beat up on a vaunted front line of another team. Now, again, like we said, they're missing Zach Randolph, and that's a big factor. But, again, I mean... In a vacuum, Marc Gasol is supposed to be way, way better than either and than any of those Jazz frontcourt players by himself, right? right. And they kind of limited Gasol. He was 6 of 15 for the game. He had 17 points, but it took him 15 shots to get there. Had eight, Only had 8 rebounds, which uh, only, I guess I shouldn't say only, but... You should say only. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, that's, for, that's for not a guy a like him, yeah. And I'm, you know, I, I'm really... The, the way the Jazz's front court is playing, what you said earlier, as I think, is exactly right. That this Memphis team could be 
in a sense, a blueprint for how the Jazz can play going forward because there are very few teams that have a front court that can come anywhere close to competing with the way these this Jazz front court is playing right now, recently. Yeah, we looked at the Jazz's schedule last week and counted this game as a loss, and, and understandably so, because it's away at Memphis, again, one of the best teams in the Western Conference. And again, they've, they've won it by playing excellent defense against a really good team and then somehow making the offense work well enough despite getting only three points from their starting point guard and I guess Joe Ingles had eight tonight from the starting shooting guard. But, I mean, still, you're, you're looking only four points tonight from Trey Burke, zero points from Elijah Millsap. You're looking at extremely limited production from the guard pieces of your lineup. But still, somehow the Jazz are able to score enough with Favors, Hayward, Gobert um, doing the, the bulk of the work there. And Rodney Hood, to his credit. Rodney Hood has points. been great since he's come back, by the way. Well, I, I feel remiss now that early on in that Stats at 7 section, I didn't put something in about Rodney and how he's played since he came back. It is a small sample, so it would have kind of been a useless stat anyway. But he's he's done. he looked really good there. He, he kind of got his own shot a couple of times tonight where he put some moves on a guy, launched up something. Long. He didn't make them all, but he was. I like the confidence in his game he had 13 points tonight uh one thing that i am interested in looking at now is we were talking earlier about how Millsap has kind of started to steal some of those jingles minutes and that did not happen tonight uh Millsap only got 11 minutes and jingles played 35 so who knows what the reasoning behind that was maybe quinn saw something in the matchups tonight that wasn't working with well, you uh, have to with say Elijah. that it worked the, absolutely Eagles was plus 18 while on the floor yeah so he was the second highest plus for the jazz beside behind uh, only exum so that was that was good I think it's interesting that Rudy Gobert is only a plus five despite having the great line um, again it's just one of those things that even when he's off the floor the jazz are able to have an advantage over their opponents defensively yeah absolutely I mean so that means that they outscored them by six when he was off the floor so <laughs> yes I'm good at maths Right, but and and in only twelve minutes too, which again, and maybe that's because Memphis had so few players; they only played nine players tonight, and actually didn't have any like did not play coaches' decisions because their their roster was so short. Huh. Um, but so their bench tonight was John Lawyer, Jamichael Green, Nick Calathis, and Jordan Adams. That's not a great contending bench lineup. Not exactly. So that may put it. Don't put a damper on the win. For okay. me. No, I mean, it's, it's still a great win, don't get me wrong, but I'm just looking for reasons as to why this might be the case. Um, uh, Rudy Gobert had a really impressive drive there with 45 seconds left. That, I mean, it didn't really seal the game. I think the game was over there, but then but he's shown an ability to do more on the offensive end too. yeah I was remarking to you in a, in a break here and I'll tell the listeners now Rudy has started to figure out that now his handles are a long way from being anywhere close to above average and that may that'll probably never happen just knowing his size but he started to realize that when he has the right positioning he doesn't need the handle if he uses his footwork correctly his legs are and arms are so freaking long <laughs> that he can catch the ball have one, we saw a play in the near the end of the fourth quarter tonight where he got a pass and essentially took one dribble and a step under the basket and laid it in the other end. He can do that as well as any player in the league because there are very few guys in the league who have strides as long as his. He's starting to realize how to utilize his advantages even when he has certain areas like his dribbling and his shooting that are pretty weak given the given the league that he's in you know yeah those are the, that stuff is really encouraging to me that he's finding these crafty ways to be effective offensively even though certain of the typical offensive skills might really never be there for him yeah it's, i mean that's that's what's really encouraging and i think he can fit in a new nba offense even though he's i don't think he's ever going to have the shooting yeah 
Uh, okay, well, I, I mean, there's so much to talk about. Rudy Gobert, over the, just a couple stats for you. Rudy Gobert over the last five games has put up seven, 70 rebounds and 15 blocks. Okay. So what is that, like 14 rebounds a night and three blocks a game? That's My pretty nice. Goodness. Um, Jazz are seven uh, seven out of their last nine they've won. So the seven and two over their last nine, Oof. including four against Western Conference playoff teams. Four. Wow. That's, and no losses, as a side note, against Western Conference players. Yeah, the teams. losses have been were against who? The Lakers and who was the other one? Uh, great question. I, why can't I remember off the top of my head? Boston was it? No, that was before that. The why can't we remember that? <laughs> this is kind of sad here, Andy. No, it's all right. I mean, regardless of who it was against, the Jazz have won seven of their last nine, and we talked about it a little bit last week that the Jazz have the easiest schedule in the league coming up next. They play Boston tomorrow on the back to back. Boston's actually an interesting team because they took Golden State to the end last night. Um, actually, we're up 26 in that game, and then they came back. And they're going to um, be upset. They got blown away by Cleveland tonight, like massacred. But they'll be on a back-to-back, too. It's then. true, yeah. So. so, although I bet you they got time to rest their starters in the, legitimately in <laughs> the second enough. half because they were down 40 at certain points in that okay. second half. So it should be an interesting game. They, I, I thought they roundly outplayed the Jazz the last time these teams met. I did, too. And, which was back in January. By the way, the other team the Jazz lost, lost to was actually a Western Conference playoff team. It was Dallas. But... It was oh, a, it was right. a close game and it was at Dallas. That was the Ennis Cantor yeah, trade demand. Exactly. Okay. So, uh, man, it's such an encouraging time to be a Jazz fan. We yeah. keep saying it all the time, but it really is. I'm just upset that this summer has to happen. Like, I want it <laughs> to just be like the once the playoffs are over this year. I just want to like start the new season right after that and just go from there. Well, we may have a summer league in Utah if that makes you feel better. The Rocky Mountain Review. Yes. Awesome. Um, I, I heard some more details about that. It sounds like it, it is actually happening, and, and they're doing some interesting stuff with it. No, Sweet. So, anyway, let's go ahead and take a break. But on the other side, we're going to talk about the Jazz's schedule coming up uh, and, and what it is like to be a Jazz fan right now because it is exciting. You're listening to Salted Hoops ESPN 700. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. So there's a lot. We've got a lot of like little random things to talk about. First of all, we've got a great nickname for Derek Favors and Rudy Gobert, courtesy of our man Dan Clayton. It is. I believe that it's Dan Clayton that that made this up, and I don't want to give false credit in case it wasn't. But he's the one who's been promoting it on Twitter. So this is for the front court of Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors, the Smother Brothers. The Smother. It's like the Splash Brothers, but smothering shots in the I'm paint. A, I'm a fan because, as Dan notes on Twitter, you can't. They don't always block shots. Like, Rudy had zero blocks tonight, for example, which is extremely rare for him, but he, that, that happens. There are games where they aren't necessarily blocking shots, but there are no games where they aren't smothering guys and contesting shots and altering shots. So I think Smother Brothers is actually a pretty cool name. Yeah. I'm going to try and promote it, along with the Stifle Tower. I believe any other nicknames for Rudy Gobert are ridiculous. The yeah, Stifle our, our Tower, false idols. The Stifle Tower collects French rejections. That's how it goes. <laughs> other than that, there really shouldn't... What is this gobstopper stuff? I'm not into that stuff. I, uh, Stifle yeah, that Tower's, doesn't rhyme. Stifle that Tower doesn't, rolls off the, off the tongue so much better. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I like Smother Brothers because, you know, it's got the, it's got the rhyming. It's yeah. got the right idea. It... it Makes an homage to one of the good NBA nicknames. I mean, I, I think it's I think it's good. Yeah, I'm a fan of it. I'm going to try and promote it. Let's get it going. Okay. Um, I also want to talk about uh, we missed one thing in the around the NBA segment, which is the firing of Byron Scott. No, sorry, not Byron Scott. <laughs> That's next. little clair, little clairvoyance here from Andy. Uh, Brian Shaw. <laughs> there, there, you understand how I made the mistake. Yes, I do. Um, 
Yeah, Brian Shaw was fired by the Denver Nuggets today. Remember earlier in the week, the the team had the best uh, team huddle chant ever, which was one, two, three, six weeks. That's awesome. Which is That's the so best great. way to know that your team has completely given up on the season when they're counting down the weeks until they get to go home because they've been 18 out of their last 20. Let yet another one here, just kind of like the Sacramento situation, where to me it's like if you're going to do this, why didn't you do it a month ago? There were rumors about Shaw being out a month ago. Well, it wasn't as bad. Yeah, I mean, I think like a month ago, you could say, you know, maybe this is something that that blows over. Maybe you're able to make a trade at the trade deadline that changes things. Maybe you get a veteran leader in there who's able to shore things up. I think now is a reasonable time to do it. Uh, Well, especially now that they've embarrassed the franchise. But yeah, yeah, and and it's just much easier to change the coach than it is the players. I actually don't blame Brian Shaw on that one too much just because... uh, you know, it is like clearly been the players revolting and and that sort of thing. Like, yeah. at no point has he shown an ability to coach really well, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But uh, for the players to do that to him is, is really is pretty low. It doesn't say much about the play. And David West had that quote today after he found out about the news that you need adults in the locker room. Or right. I may, may he may have said grown ups. I don't remember whether it was grown ups or adults that he said <laughs> that you will want. Either way, they mean the same thing. And he was basically insinuating that Denver does not have that in their locker room. So uh, I guess we probably won't see him going to Denver when he's a free agent this year. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, Melvin Hunt is the assistant coach. Will take over on an interim basis. Be interesting to see who they look at next. I heard some people float D'Antoni as a possibility, yeah. which would be interesting. I think Alvin Gentry is who I would go with, which is in the Mike D'Antoni mold, but probably a little bit. Uh, maybe more modern, maybe more smart than I, I feel like Mike D'Antoni is. Um, but they might surprise people. Maybe they go with like a Mike Longabardi possibility. Uh, you know, there there are some interesting names out there. Although I would have preferred just the George Carl hiring again. I mean, there or maybe just not not fire him in the first place after a forty whatever <laughs> after like a fifty three right, win 57 season. Fifty seven win. Oh fifty seven win season. Excuse me. Let's fire the so, coach after that. Exactly. Coach of the year, you fire him on the year that he wins coach of the year, and executive of the of the year leaves that same team in that same offseason. Since then. Coincidentally, they have not been as good. Yeah, uh, amazing how that happens, huh? Yeah, that's stupid. Um, uh, my friend Fabian texted in that I am actually a good person to hang out with, despite my blue card getting tendencies in soccer. I just oh, it's the to same with me. It's just when competition starts, I'm evil. Like that's, <laughs> until then, everything is fine. You're just, so if people, if you were in the NBA, would people like hate watch you? Like they they talk about oh, hate yeah. watching oh, James abs- Harden? Absolutely. Okay. Oh yeah, no question. You're you're a villain on the floor. Well, but actually, I wonder about that because of the amount of success in my life, and I, I really <laughs> no, I really truly do view that kind of differently for people that have achieved that amount of success in their lives. Who knows? Maybe I'm a massive hypocrite. I probably am. So it's it's better for James Harden because he's made it to the NBA. You've only made it to you know, not hockey. not the NBA. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Let's let's preview this Jazz schedule coming up. So they've got three games left on this Eastern Conference road trip. The first game won tonight at Memphis, 93-82, on the backs of great performances by Favors, Hayward, and Gobert. The the Smother brothers, those last two. Uh, what do you think about Jazz at Boston tomorrow? We talked about that a little bit. Um, you think it's a win? I hope so. I'm intrigued for the coaching battle. I think it's a really – that's what – it was one last game, I thought. For those who watch it closely, I'm intrigued to see how the adjustments get made. Both of those teams are in interesting spots right now. They're mm-hmm. in tw- Jazz are 24 and 35. Celtics are 23 and 35. So yeah. they're right in that same boat. Then they play the Philadelphia 76ers. Hopefully that's a win. I mean, the Sixers yep. are uh, not a good team. But then again, neither are the Lakers. So True. 
Uh, and then Jazz at Brooklyn, I think, will be a little bit interesting as well. Yeah, it could be. They uh, they blew them out last. The Jazz did that the last time they played. We'll see. Brooklyn's been a little bit better since then. They've been they beat Golden State last night. They've been kind of feisty. Hmm. Or was that last night or the night before? But either way, they beat them. Yeah. So that's been. They've been more feisty. Could be fun. And then back home for the Knicks. Yeah. Well, and a five game road trip or a five game homestand as well. So again, just part of the easy Jazz schedule moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's really encouraging for the Jazz. I really think that they could have a above five hundred remaining of the season yeah absolutely i think there's no doubt and it's you know it's too bad these moves a couple of this these things didn't start happening a little earlier we could legitimately be talking about a long shot but a run at the playoffs which we is currently impossible just so everyone knows right all right well everyone thanks for listening you can always listen to the show as a podcast on itunes on stitcher on saltcityhoops.com as well as on espn 700 sports thanks so much for listening this has been andy larson ben dowsett salt city hoops espn 700 